Today's episode is brought to you by Yelp, whose mission is to connect people with great local businesses. They're also helping me connect with you, which is totally awesome. Now here we go. When Hurricane Katrina happened, the one thing that was very palpable really quickly is that if all of us sacrifice a little bit, a little bit, none of us have to sacrifice at all. And we're here and in no questions too big or too small, we will find an answer to the best of our ability. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the future of the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. On today's show, we chat with Elizabeth Tilton, founder of Oyster Sunday, a hospitality services company making waves by supplying us with the tools we need to reopen at no cost. As a child, I dreamed of being an astronaut. Elizabeth Tilton dreamed of being a doctor. But somehow, some way, the hospitality industry sucked us in. The love of serving others is overwhelming, and it fires us off in different directions. I became a restaurateur. Elizabeth has dedicated her life to helping restaurateurs succeed. Today, we begin with her explaining exactly what it is that Oyster Sunday does, and why that work is so important today. So to begin, talk to me a little bit about Oyster Sunday. What do you guys do? Sure. So Oyster Sunday stands for operating system. And we are a corporate office for independent restaurants. So that means that we're providing services from point of sale through payroll, finance, accounting, HR, branding, um, to give independent restaurants a seat at the table and economy of scale, otherwise un- unattainable. Right. Well, I mean... We've spent years developing that in my own restaurant, so I know how important it is. And it's also prohibitively expensive when you do it on your own. Definitely. Um, And I think there's been some great operators who've done portions of that, like for great HR and great accounting. But if you don't have the 360-foot view and really looking at a holistic, the the kind of the amoebic structure of a restaurant, I think that things are missed and there's a lot of redundancy. Well, and there's also the idea between like your company and your business, right? Because like a restaurant's business is food and beverage, but there's this entire company that that stands behind it, that if that's unhealthy, it doesn't matter how successful the business is, right? Absolutely. And I think you have to start on the right foot. And I think when, when operators like yourself or chefs and kind of step up into these roles, they become the CFO, CMO, head of HR overnight. And that although they may have the capacity or the competency to execute all those tasks, it, it really deteriorates and takes away from what we do best in this industry, which is to care for others. And, um, and it's a huge burden to, to take on yourself. And so we're, we basically provide that stability and infrastructure to allow operators to really manage the customer experience in their own restaurant. Well, it, and you guys got national attention. And the way I found you was through uh, the support material that you put out for reopening post-pandemic. What was the idea behind creating that? And what, what was the rollout like? Yeah, so we, right after, I actually was in New York City. Um, the I, I live in New Orleans, but I traveled to New York as part of my teams there and once a month, and I was there for meetings. And on the 11th, I was in a meeting um, in the city and the WHO came out and announced it was a pandemic. And I remember closing my laptop, packing my bag and saying, I have to go to the airport now. And really kind of feeling the pressure of New York, I think it was palpable. Like I, before I got up there, I was like, oh, we should keep an eye out for this. We're not sure what's going to happen. And I left on the 11th. I was like, we need to figure out today what we're going to move forward with. And immediately 
kind of turned to the team, um, particularly the director, uh, head of projects, Jessica Abel. And we sat down and said, we're going to do um, a website. We're going to put out resources to help operators, not only to arm them with information to make informed decisions, um, and then we're going to pivot and provide all of our complete free consultations for any operator. Um, because it became really, really palpable that this was real and this was going to change the course of restaurants world, nationwide and worldwide in the matter of days. Um, so by that Monday, so I was on a Wednesday, and by that Monday we had rolled out um, the complete plan to, to take on that responsibility. And we, and we were hearing a lot of like people talking about who was closing and what they were offering and pivoting to delivery, but I didn't, we didn't feel that that did enough to, to tell operators how to move forward and to make informed decisions. Have you guys updated that material as things have changed on the ground level? Drastically, yeah. So immediately we kind of did this brain dump of said, if we were to break down a restaurant into their departments, let's go ahead and identify things that we need from finance and operations and HR, and then started to really talk to thought leaders in the industry, in addition to our team, um, you know, calling lawyers and calling insurance and risk management um, brokers and saying, what do we need to know right now and to put down paper? So that was the first, like the first step. And that was out by that Monday and then we kept adding. We were hearing the James Beard came out with stuff and the RWCF came out with initiative of grants. And so we were constantly adding to it. Um, and then advanced, we put out a really big, um, kind of what you alluded to earlier, our critical path, which is reopening critical path. So the first two weeks were really spent helping operators think through how, how do you treat and manage your team responsibly and with the most amount of grace possible to close your doors. Um, and then the second phase was cash. How do you stop hemorrhaging? How do you stop like any sort of fixed cost? How do you reduce those as low as possible to not just, just to kind of come into this really small hibernation period as long as you could. Um, and then the next phase was really dealing with PPPL and thinking about EIDL grants and national and localized financial stability and financial, just able to get resources. Because in that point then we finally could make a decision about you know, what was your, what was your business health enough to open your doors and could you? Um, and then as soon as we identified that in the first two and a half weeks, we then immediately turned our attention very early um, by the end of March to reopening. And we knew at the time that there was so many variables we did not know. We knew that there, it's going to be states by state. There was not going to be federal mandated. We didn't know where this was going to end, but we did know if you could kind of strip down a restaurant to their fundamentals and really look at like a infrastructure, we could start talking about topics that help restaurants think about what alternative revenue sources look like. What does compensation look like? What does, so we could identify that and that eventually translated into what we rolled out um, in early, actually in mid April with the James Beard Foundation, um, which was our reopening critical path. Well, and I'm sure a lot of people took you up on the free consultation offer. What's the word on the street? What are people concerned about? What are they asking about specifically? Yeah, so we we definitely have received a lot. And the beauty of it is, although we're based in New Orleans and New York as kind of like our hubs, we are nationwide as a team and we, we're totally remote. So we're able to really hear things on the ground and talking to operators from Phoenix and Detroit and San Francisco and the Bay Area and the East Coast, we were able to kind of find these commonalities of questions um, and in that, we started putting out more resources and address them. So some of the ones we're about to put out are about unemployment. And at what point does, a, does an operator, how do you approach a 
one of your um, team members to not disqualify them from unemployment, but to, to, to make sure you're building out your team with, with a certain amount of, just to make sure it's best for your business health. And then things like that to really thinking through how can we restructure business operations, right? So how can we think through things like, can we do a co-op model? Can we do an ESOP? Can we do profit share? So we're really addressing all of those questions. And in terms of what we're hearing kind of like the initially, the, again, like the initially was kind of triaging and figuring out, just answering every kind of departmental question we could. And we had amazing people from all over the country offer their services, like pro bono legal counsel from Jasmine Moy in New York and um, Drew Macklin with Kluke Farber and just things like that. Um, and what we're hearing most, most tangibly right now is I think things that we're, things we're hearing the most about are how do we find alternative revenue sources and completely change our business model? Because the ones you had before honestly don't exist. You should kind of disregard them. And even if you're, you may have received the PPL and you have the, the inclination to rehire your entire team back, but the reality is that you have to kind of go back to your cash on hand and really what you can offer as a revenue source to figure out on your lowest moments what is, what is break even and build from there. And it sounds dire and drastic, but I think that if it's really kind of helping operators think through those processes right now. Well, and if I could be frank, I, you know, that's something we all should have done before we opened our restaurants initially as well. So the work that we're doing now is also the work that so many of us, myself included, didn't do when we initially opened our restaurants. You know what yeah. I'm saying? We, we could frame this conversation as, as you know, look, looking at the tragic elements, or we could see this for what it is, which is an opportunity to pause and reset an industry that was struggling and, and an industry yeah. that was was foundationally fractured to the point where most of us that had reached the highest levels of success in this industry weren't making real money. Absolutely. And even like, I mean, even pre-COVID, I mean, the reason why Oyster Sunday even began to be was that I was looking at, I mean, having so much exposure to a bunch of P&Ls and seeing there, if you could actually look at a P&L, consolidate these resources and not pay a premium on a consulting basis outside, but actually bring someone in that would like the benefit of a restaurant group and sit there and say, can we reorg these, these like line items in your P&L and consolidate them that your margins are better? For like, sure. can we, and, and then use data and use like, use data driven decision-making, looking at your, your menu mix looking and these kind of questions are still popping up now as you're like pivoting towards delivery. Like if someone, I was talking to an operator and they were talking about like keeping lamb on the dish and like doing his delivery and that's not viable. Right. No consumer is expecting that lamb dish to arrive in their house until you open your doors again and you can serve them. And then there's kind of multiple questions is the integrity of the dish. Is this, and one thing we kind of go back to operators is like if you're if you're going back to thinking about what is what makes you you and like what is your point of view using food as your medium, does that excluding that dish does it really make you not that person or make you not have that voice? And and I think that operators have to kind of really figure out right now. And to your point, is like not only do we need to think about business health and like how do we find your core competency and how do you make that best for your team, your vendors, your guests, but on the flip side is in that conversation is what, what of those dishes and what of that personality make you who you are? Because what we need to do right now is we're pivoting from a service industry that's based in brick and mortar and we're pivoting to a product industry very quickly. And that removes hospitality. 
if you think about it, but I think that the beauty of it is that there's going to be ways in which operators are able to figure out how to translate that service element into a product that in the intermediate until we find a vaccine, because this is going to continue to be cyclical and we have to recognize that. Um, Yeah. And I think, you know, this is only exposed issues of the industry. It has not created them in the same way. Um, The inability, we are in person, we have slim margins and we're contingent on labor, high labor and high food cost. And we have to figure out a way to like mitigate some of that and, and the way forward is going to take a lot of creativity and I think really kind of reevaluating where those business models were again, don't, they don't matter in my opinion. You need to burn them, take them out, like, you know, right. use them for other purposes because <laughs> you got to start over. Well, and therein lies the opportunity, right? Yeah. So my ultimate concern is we weren't making a lot of money when we were making $3.1 million a year top line, not that much drops to the bottom line. And Typically, what you see in low margin businesses is very high volume, right? 10 million, 20 million, 30 million. That way, they might make three, four, five, six percent, but it's a lot because the top line is a lot. Whereas in the restaurant industry, you see low, low margins and a low top line. And Absolutely. so, you know, when you're looking at, when you're looking at an industry average of about six percent for full service restaurants and Let's say my restaurant is doing $3.2 million a year and it's netting out at 10%, right? 50% more than the industry uh, average. That is $300,000 worth of revenue for the effort that it took over the course of a year to generate $3.2 million. Absolutely. There's got to be a better model, right? And there's also, I mean, on top of that, it's more, you know, it's, so even understanding that you're netting that, you know, at the end of the year and you're getting that, you're looking at those margins of 10% of any sort of profit. And then you start dwindling from there, right? But the question for me is, you know, can we think about you know, if labor's 30%, how do we restructure labor? Like, not only because at the end of the day, like the hard thing we have to manage is that, well, there's two sides. One is at the end of the day, the consumer is going to indicate to us what they need. Right, we can have a we can have a vision of what we want them to want, but they're going to dictate for us. And before they have dictated that the previous restaurant model of like the certain type of service, the certain type, the certain type of kind of structure of that of that hospitality was very was very specific. And everyone kind of you know you worked for one chef, you took their P and L, you built your own, you you kind of mutated these kind of iterations off of that. And I think there's certain certain operators like Camilla Marcus in New York, who's doing Westbourne and thinking about back of house and front of house are fluid. You know, can we include, and, and thinking about the West Coast, can we include service included? Mm-hmm. Can, we, can we now dictate and inform, inform the consumer that commissions on delivery are too high? Let's figure out other alternatives. Because now we have their attention that curbside pickup is viable and they don't need to use legacy applications or apps anymore because they understand now have more visibility into those margins than ever because it's it's just it's on the table everything's on the table right now and if we don't use this moment to really kind of shift our point of view and shift our perspective of how these P&Ls are built and how these models are built we're really going to we're going to fall into um similar routines and sort of repetitive behavior that won't lead any of us to to progress in the future and i think it's right now we're at a we're at a crossroads and I'm hope I'm a huge I'm an optimist to my core, and I'm a huge believer that when you come through these really drastic um, pivots and like these funnels, 
that become, there are a lot of creativity happens at these kind of junctures. And I think about supply chain and I think about technology and I'm thinking about even corporate structures, like how all these things kind of intersect, it's, it's all happening right now. And I think being part of the conversation and advocating for it and, you know, if people like the Independent Restaurant Coalition has killed it for at mm-hmm. least providing a voice in a national level that gives all these independents a, a centralized kind of, um, a centralized network that previously, in my opinion, didn't exist. It, w- it was always such a closed community, right? Like everybody's doing well until the day they go out of business and nobody's really airing out their issues. Um, it's yeah. also so interesting to me that in probably one of, if not the oldest industry, you know, in mankind, I would say in the last 50 years, there's been almost no innovation. No, dis- the most disruptive thing to happen to the industry in the last 50 years is probably like the advent of Open Table, which was just, digitizing a reservation book. Right. And on the back end, it was making things cloud-based. Right. So you didn't have to be like hardwired. And, and, and when your POS went down, you didn't have to get the knuckle busters out to process credit cards. Like that's progress in our industry. And I don't think, but people are still calling in POs, like calling in like and leaving voicemails, you know? And I think that in, in, in terms of just, you think about the amount of, even if you just think about the amount of time that we spend trying to wrangle all the access points into everything that's coming in and everything that's coming out of restaurants. If we don't figure out a way to optimize that to, to reduce redundancy while still, and then also using that as an opportunity to progress everyone forward, to make sure that you can have access to the local farmers and you are, you are purchasing things that are, that are on, on board with your mission and your core values. I mean, I think that we have a moment now that we can, as things are shaken up, you know, and, and just reading about supply chain, it's, it's bonkers when you're, when, oh, you yeah. know, you know, and it's also, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of feedback from that, you know, people like Tyson's versus local producers and, and the CSAs that are now at, like resurging. And I think that there's going to be, we have to kind of keep a holistic mindset. And I always come again, I come back from the perspective of the customer because they're going to, until they feel safe, they're going to find ways to feed themselves wherever they can. Right. And, and they're going to do it where they feel that they have transparency and safety. And right now that's grocery stores right. and liquor stores for many people. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think, I just think that, and wine stores, of course, but I just think that we're going to have to, we're going to have to like keep real close tabs and hear from them and listen to them and not from Yelp and not from their Google reviews. It's going to be hearing from your customer base and like really asking them on a, on a marketing level of saying like, what do you want? Like, what can we, how can we feed you right now? And like, keep that. Cause that's all we want to do. We want to open doors and we want to feed people. Those lines of communication between us and our customer base, I think is going to be huge moving yeah. forward because I think that if they're part of the conversation, they'll be pliable, right? They, they'll help us reopen in a way that makes sense for us. Because, you know, I turned to my partners and I said, I don't want to do this unless we can net out 15 to 20%. Right. I don't know how to do that, but like, I, I don't, I just don't want to do this anymore if it's going to be a game of pennies because it's too hard. It's too stressful. There's too much liability. There are too many variables. The flip side of that every day is different. I feel fulfilled in serving other people. The people that I work with uh, create such a joyous environment. Um, we're building and we're creating in, in such a dynamic environment. But yeah. the juice has to be worth the squeeze. 
And I do think backing out from understanding where your goal is and then backing into your PN or backing into your cogs and backing into that, I think is smart because at least, you know, when, if you were to do 15 to 20% profit, then at least you can figure out, you can make decisions on your company and maybe it's for profit share. So then you can figure out if we have this and we can allocate X amount to our employees, we can give them a better quality of life. And I think it's, it's not only just thinking about, you know, what you're serving, how you're serving it, because we're going to, we're, I don't think just delivery is going to change anything right now. Right. But I do think that we, we have an opportunity to think about what does salary look like for employees? What does, you know, what, what are these bigger benefits that we can as a, as a network and as a, a, like a group really think through and kind of push forward um, and also ask for help when we need it um, and re and pulling on resources. And I think that the resources that have been built in, in either at a state level or at a federal level that, are coming to the forefront of between mental health and even just going back to the benefits section of it. Um, I, I think we're going to continue to see progress on that front, which I'm very excited about. And my, I mean, to your point about serving and feeding people, I mean, I was going, I, you know, I was med school bound and, and college and the decision to go to go into culinary, you know, was in my fourth year at UVA. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to try this out for a year, but the empathy, you know, and I think we're feeding our, the, the desire to feed one another and that sense of empathy and like to really care is, is innate and it's why we're in this business. And it's so difficult because in these moments, like right now where we are a barrier to one another, like all we want to do is feed each other and that kind of empathy to do so. And it's just, it's hard when, you know, we're watching, we can't, where there's barriers in that and all and that's just like such a innate thing that we want to do. I want to go back to something you had said earlier, because I, I think that there's a lot of truth to it. You had talked about that until there's a vaccine, this is going to be cyclical. So I would assume in the modeling that you're creating, it's a model that, that works both with dine-in and without dine-in because we're going to be allowed to do it and then potentially not. And then we're allowed to do it again. And then we're not. That's Absolutely. Daughter. I know. So cute. <laughs> um, yes, 100%. We actually just recently, um, yesterday, published a, um, a calculator on our website in collaboration with one of our, one of our advisors, Vontana London. And it's basically meant to say, what is your model now? And what is your future model? And then do variance of how, what percentage it goes to. So if you can do any in-house or no in-house or you shut down, but I think the one, yes, we are, we're talking about when we're working with operators, we're talking about what percentage is going to be to delivery. Can you think about catering? Can you think about other digital ways of, of supporting your staff and your team and putting out content that can be a revenue source into your company? Um, and on the flip side too, it's, you know, it's thinking, you know, we're thinking in 12 week scenarios. We're thinking in like the immediate 12 weeks, 12 weeks from there, because you, I don't think you can think further and it's going right. to be cyclical until we have found a vaccine. And we're, we're planning for 18 months out for vaccine at this point. Um, because I don't think we, and also thinking about this is probably not the last time we'll have a pandemic, mm -hmm. um, just because we are so global that we, you need to prepare as things are pivoting and, and who you're serving and um, is all, it's all questioned right now. If you had uh, one piece of like really actionable advice for, uh, for the people listening, these independent restaurant owners, what would it be? I would say there's kind of two sides. One is the immediate and the two things that we continue to go back to are one is identify your cash on hand. Like you need to know what you have available to you because it's, and then from there is identifying, understanding this is going to be cyclical that if, and some operators have one time to get out the gate, right. 
is it at what point do you stay dormant and you don't open until it's the right time and you figure out that you figure out what this first wave is going to do. Um, and I think some operators are making the decision to sit still and I don't, and I think it's, it's not, I know there's an inclination to want to come out the gate and be one of the first ones open, but also considering supply chain, considering labor and what your team needs from you right now is maybe they're better off at home and receiving unemployment for the time being. And then reminder too that like, again, you may have one chance to get out the gate and is this the right time for you? If you can sit still and you've gotten rid of abatement and you've gotten your, your costs down, can you, at what point does that hibernation come out of, out of place? And the second one is, I mean, safety. We don't even know if it's going to want to state by state, how it's going to be mandated, but we do know that there's going to be safety is like number one for your, your team, your vendors and your guests. And I think right now it's really thinking through what are your standard operating procedures and making clearly communicating that to your team so they, they feel armed that they, when they do come back, you're protecting them. And that also includes your team's interaction with your guests and understanding your rights as an operator, that if someone is not conducting themselves in your, in your space to respect your standard operating procedures, what your rights are to ask them to not serve them. The same way in which we think about if someone's over, if over consumed on alcohol or, or being, or not being respectful of the space. Um, and then also your vendors, you know, and creating, just making sure that every, every touch point into your, into your castle, into your, you know, protecting that. And, um, and just making sure that you're clearly communicating that because your intention is to keep everyone safe that's interacting with it. That's your number one priority. And this is a big platform and you have the opportunity to speak to the entire industry. Is there anything you would like to say? I think first off is that we're here to help, <laughs> you know, like Oyster Sunday, we are, we, we are continue to do free consultations because if, you know, I'm from born and raised in New Orleans and when Hurricane Katrina happened, the one thing that was very palpable really quickly is that if all of us sacrifice a little bit, a little bit, none of us have to sacrifice at all. And we're here and in no questions too big or too small, we will find an answer to the best of our ability. Um, so contact us. In terms of like, I'm, again, I'm a bleeding optimist. I'm a rational one, but I think that there will be operators who shudder, but I think that we, as an, as an entire industry, we're going to come out on the other end of this. And we're, I think this is the opportunity for us to, to grab it by, you know, grab the bull by the horns and wrangle it down and figure out as a community how to move forward. And because it, because I think it can't be done or isolated anymore. It's going to take a real collaborative voice to figure out how to get forward. That's Elizabeth Tilton, founder of Oyster Sunday. To get access to the tools discussed on the show, go to oystersunday.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, check out our video content, or read our weekly blog, go to joshkopel.com. That's J-O-S-H-K-O-P-E-L.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.